Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Hey, just want to uh, say I'm just excited that we're going to dive back into our uh, series on confession. Five sentences that will heal your life. That's my goal. I want you to be healed. The theme of healing is going to continue. Tomorrow, I have another guest for the program that I know I'm excited to introduce you to. His name's Brendan Case, and he is an amazing man who has brought miracles into my own life. So you'll hear him tomorrow on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Today we're going to be talking about one and maybe two of the five sentences that will heal your life. The five sentences are, you can repeat after me, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, and I'll never do it again. Now that is, what that does is, is it takes the sentences uh, that are, par, are, are expressing the acts of the penitent. The penitent is the person who is sorry for his or her sins and goes into confession. There are certain acts that are required of that person and uh, those acts are called confession. And so I did it. Contrition, I'm sorry. And there's another aspect of contrition as well. It shows up as resolution. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the petition for forgiveness and the receiving of God's mercy, and that's forgive me. Uh, the act of satisfaction, which we know as penance, and that's I will make up for it. And then resolution, I will never sin again. Uh, I want to begin with prayer. Psalm 51. I'm going to read the first part of Psalm 51 where you're going to hear David cry out, I did it, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it and I'll never do it again. We hear those sentences take shape in his prayer of repentance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin, cleanse me. For I acknowledge my offense, and my sin is before me always. Against you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be justified in your sentence, vindicated when you condemn. Indeed, in guilt was I born, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you are pleased with sincerity of heart, and in my inmost being you teach me wisdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today in Jesus' holy name, and we do thank you and praise you for the gift of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation for the gift of confession. And Lord, we ask that you would grant us the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to anoint our minds and hearts to receive deepened understanding and enlightenment from you. Lord, bless this time. Jesus, be the Redeemer. Be the one who sets it free so that we might receive the blessing that you intend. 
We turn to our Mother Mary. We ask for her special uh, intercession as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today I'm going to dive in, as I mentioned, to this first sentence, uh, which is, I did it. I did it. Maybe we'll get to, I'm sorry. Um, and when we think about I did it, it's, it's the statement of us making a confession. And that's one of the ways that the sacrament is referred to as, right? And that's the way that if you grew up Catholic uh, a generation ago, confession is how it was talked about. Today we tend to call it more reconciliation, which emphasizes what God does. And we'll focus on that next session when we have a chance to talk about God's mercy. But let's start. Let's dive right into the concept of confession. My wife, Carrie, she taught for a number of years before we had children. She taught grade school level all the way to the high school level in, in a variety of settings, both Catholic and, and public schools. But she found a common situation. Uh, one time there was, uh, she was teaching a seventh grade class, and there was a rambunctious boy named Bobby. And she would, he would often stir up the rest of the kids. And one day she would turn her back on the class to write on the board, and then she'd hear some noise in the back. And sure enough, it was Bobby. And so she wanted to catch Bobby in the act. So what did she do? She made pretend she was turning around to write on the board. And then she quickly turned back and she caught Bobby. What was Bobby doing? He was in the back row. He had wadded up a ball of paper and he was throwing the paper. And in the act of throwing the paper, Carrie said, Bobby? And Bobby's response was, in the act of throwing, I didn't do it. As he's literally throwing the paper, he's caught. I mean, he is just absolutely nailed. And what does he say? I didn't do it. The natural inclination that we have regarding confessing, confessing that we did it, is what? Self-defense. I didn't do it. We're not naturally inclined to confess. It goes against our inclinations. Especially what? bringing out into the open, confessing, accusing ourselves of things that we're ashamed of, sins. I want to propose that's probably the biggest reason why we shy away from confession. Who wants to bring out into the open the, the things that we are ashamed that we've done? Well, the, the church proposes that saying, I did it, accusing ourselves, is in fact at the essence of this sacrament. It's one of the essential conditions or actions that we do. Now, what's the power? Where's the power that is involved? What's the power that comes to our lives from saying, I did it? Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and that's one of the great sources that I relied on in writing uh, the book on confession, is the Catechism, uh, points out that the confession or disclosure of sins, even from a simply human point of view, frees us and facilitates our reconciliation with others. There's a power and being willing to say, I did it. Now, I want to propose to you that a big reason why the, uh, by some pastoral leaders, priests and ministry leaders, talk about reconciliation is that they don't want to draw attention to the act of confession as somehow being at the center of what we're doing. And yet I think we're really missing a point. We're really missing the, the power that learning how to confess well, learning how to accuse myself and disclose is a very important human value as well as a path to living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
So uh, from a human point of view, frees us and facilitates our reconciliation of others. Through such an admission, we look squarely at the sins we're guilty of, we take responsibility for them, and thereby open ourselves again to God and to the communion of the church in order to make a new future possible. Did you hear what it just said? This is a very uh, important passage. What it's saying is this. What you keep hidden can't be dealt with. What God can deal with in your life is what you bring to him. When you hide something, it's not going to be dealt with. You remember the concept of healing, we tend to think of being sick in our bodies, right? When you're sick physically, do you hide your condition? No, you bring it out into the open so the doctor can make a proper diagnosis and prescribe the proper medicine. Well, this is the analogy that the church has used for almost 2,000 years regarding the concept of the healing of our sinful condition. What remains hidden will not be healed. Sin is a spiritual disease, and the way St. Augustine says is that in confession, we lay bare the hidden disease by the hope of pardon. Now, that's what's critical. Why do you bring out into the open what's hidden? You hope that it can be dealt with. Somehow, by bringing open what I'm ashamed of, I, I'm going to have it dealt with in a way that it wouldn't be dealt with if I kept it hidden. We've already talked about last time the effects of sin. Remember, if you remember any of those effects of sin, it darkens the intellect, it weakens the will, it disorders the passions, it increases concupiscence, it binds us up in all these different ways. Those are the things that get dealt with through accusing ourselves, through bringing out into the open what we would rather have hidden. Now, here's the question. How do we do this well? How do we disclose what we want to keep hidden? How do we confess? How do we say, I did it well? Well, I'm relying on, I'm relying on this book right here. It's not a Bible, but it's the next best, next best thing to the Bible. This is volume three of the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas identifies certain traits, certain uh, attributes of saying, I did it. Do you know how many he identifies? Sixteen. Who would have thunk? There are 16 different aspects to saying, I did it well. And we're going to explore each of them. Now you know why. How long is this going to take? It's going to take a while. But what we're going to see is when we learn how to say, I did it well, it's going to do way more than just equip us to have a fruitful confession. It's going to equip us to live a life as a disciple. And if you remember, St. Augustine, talks in a very traditional way about this idea that as a disciple, your whole life is confessing something. Your life is a confession of faith in God, confession of God's glory and of my misery without God, my misery before God, before his great majesty. So our whole life is a confession. And so we can, if we can understand how to confess well, in fact, we're going to learn a lot about being a disciple. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. 
If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Let's dive in. Aquinas always puts things in a certain order because he wants to draw things out. So the first thing he says is that the act of confessing should be discreet. And by discreet, he doesn't mean, well, something that happens in a hidden way. By discreet, he means well-ordered, where you give the primary attention to the most important things. Those things that, sh- that are emphasized when we confess in confession, in this great sacrament, should be the, we should put the most emphasis on the weightiest matters. Okay? Oh, by the way, when you think about confession, when we had, like I had questions growing up, do I have to say exactly how many times I did something? Right, that's the question I was primarily dealing Do I have to say everything? How much detail do I have to give? Right, these are probably common questions. Get ready. All your questions are going to be answered about that by, uh, by learning, leaning on St. Thomas Aquinas, who, by the way, doesn't make this up. This is something that he inherits from our tradition, and he uh, expounds in the Summa. Now, what's the temptation? I said you should emphasize the weightiest matters in confession. I know the temptation is, okay, I have my list of sins, and I'm going to hide the heaviest one in the middle, right? So, so I thought bad thoughts, and I watched too much television, and I stole those cars, and I uh, disobeyed my mom and father. <laughs> right? You want to kind of hide, maybe, the worst sin in a list of a whole bunch of sins. And Aquinas is saying, no, no, no. You should make clear that the weightiest matter is brought out into the open. You're not trying to hide. When you're, when you're being discreet, you're trying to make sure that what is confessed, the weightiest matters are emphasized the most. And you might even say that by saying, well, what I'm most sorry about is, and so I will confess literally based on the Ten Commandments. Okay, the first commandment, our sins against faith, pride, sins of doubt, things like that. And so I'll begin with that, and then I'll go down through the list of the Ten Commandments. So the weightiest sin, well, sometimes it's pride, but sometimes it's something else that I've done. I wouldn't necessarily start with that, but I'm just using the Ten Commandments. So, but I'll bring out what is bothering me the most, what is burdening me the most in this confession is the following thing. So that's a way to do that. The second is that the act of confessing should be voluntary. Voluntary. That means voluntas. It is to be willed. It's to be chosen. Oftentimes, we confess because it's required of us. And it can lack that voluntary quality. Now, there's something at stake here. What's at stake here? When something's voluntary, it's supposed to be willed. It's associated with a virtue, a virtuous activity. You can confess in a virtuous way. Now, I don't know if you've learned this, but when a virtue lives in you, it shows up as having certain attributes. When a virtue is alive in you, it, the act of the virtue itself, this act of, that's in accord with human excellence, shows up quickly, easily, and joyfully. When we are not yet fully virtu- uh, having that virtue live in us, it's not such an ingrained habit, guess what happens? We do it. Not quickly, but slowly. Not easily, but with difficulty. And not joyfully, but begrudgingly. Think about the act of bringing out into the open what you want to have hidden. Think about the act of accusing yourself. Does that happen quickly, easily, 
and joyfully, I can't wait to confess? Or is it, if this is what I have to do to get forgiven, I guess I have to do it. What we're saying is, is it doesn't yet live in us as a habit. The way that it becomes a habit is by repeated actions, right? You've probably learned this. So what we do in confession connects to our lives. You remember, we want to live a confessional life. That's a big theme in this book. Okay, third. What's the third one? The third is that the act of confessing should be pure. Well, what's pure? Pure means with the right intention. What's an intention? It's a goal, that which we tend towards. We tend towards goals. So saying, I did it, is to say, I'm tending towards a certain goal when I do that. Well, what's my goal when I say, I did it? We have many goals, and sometimes they're not so pure. What's a pure intention for saying, I did it? What would be the, the, the pure reason for saying, I did it? Well, it would be, I propose it, it's in the following sentence. I'm confessing here and now because I believe Jesus Christ intends me to do so. It's his goal for me. And I honor him as Lord by confessing. I confess this sin because I did do it. I'm truly sorry I did it. I want to ask God to forgive me. I want to make up for what I've done. And I'll never do it again. Five sentences. The pure intention of saying I did it is it's the entry point to living this confessional life. That would be a pure intention. I'm honoring what God asks of me to access the healing he wants to bring to my life in that sacrament. Well, what are alternative reasons? Think about it. What are alternative reasons why you'd say, I did it? Well, the, the simple answer is, I just want to be forgiven. And, and if I need to say I did it in order to be forgiven, I, I'll do it. Or I want peace in my life, and people are telling me that this sacrament will bring me peace. Okay, I'll do whatever I need to do to get peace. Just, I'll say it. Or what about this? You know, I need to be a good example to my kids. Let's go to confession. I'll confess because I need to be a good model for them. Or I want Father to have a good opinion of me. And so I want to devoutly make a good confession. And so I'll say I did it just to make that good impression. Now you stop and think about all of those reasons. Now, does that, does that uh, negate the value of going to confession? No, it doesn't. But when we realize we have mixed motivations, very few of us have entirely pure motivations, other than Patrick. Uh, but, uh, we, we have mixed motivations in our lives. When we become aware of what the pure motivation is, guess what that is? It can, it can shine a light on the rest of our motivations, and it can give us the, uh, the opportunity to say, God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me and purify my intention. I want to have that pure motivation when I go to confession. Or aspect of confession is that it should be courageous courageous. Who would have thunk going to confession? Who would have thought going to confession requires courage, right? Uh, well, Aquinas, by uh, saying it means courage, he says that it should be immovable. I will not be moved off of what I'm supposed to be doing when I say I did it. In other words, the truth here is not going to be denied or sloughed over. I'm not going to try to hide it when I confess. The courage that's involved here is intended to be salutary. In other words, the act, the act of feeling shame has many negative connotations. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it also has a health-bringing, a life-bringing connotation. Here's a simple way of saying it. 
what is one of the indicators of something you should say in confession? It's that thing that you want to keep hidden. What's the thing that you don't want to say? When you think about, okay, here, here are the list of things that I'm thinking about in my mind that I should say in confession. Ooh, I don't want to say that. Oh, there it is. I, I need to make sure I say that. By the way, this also works for marriage. What is it that you want to keep from your spouse? That's the thing you need to share with your spouse. Well, now we're getting personal. Now, the reason why this is so important, the reason why courage is so important in confession is that there's a temptation out of shame, literally, to hide our sin in the act of confessing it. How? By not saying enough information, by being vague about what we share, by not sharing, by sharing in, in complex ways that obscure what we're actually saying. It's going to take courage to speak in a way that makes plain, clear, and entire, or simple, clear, and entire. Or, uh, the words that Aquinas uses are open, simple, and entire. And I'm going to talk about those three in a moment. So courage is, is going to say, I am not going to be hiding anything in the act of trying to confess it. Well, it takes courage to face the shame and still bring something out into the open. But Aquinas also says that the act of confessing should be shame-faced. Isn't that interesting? It is something that you want to be hidden, but when you bring it out in the open, you are ashamed that you did this. Well, you say to yourself, why even bring that up? Why is that even an issue to talk about? Of course I'm ashamed of what I've done. Well, there are two aspects to this. The first is something that we're not likely to face when we're in confession, and that is boasting about our sins. Hey, Father, let me tell you what else I did, right? In confession, we're not likely to boast about our sins. But what about outside confession? What about in our lives? We can face two situations where we either are boasting about those very things we should be ashamed of, or we through what the catechism calls adulation, we allow others to engage in sinful activities and out of a desire to be agreeable or to be friendly, we smile and go along with it. And this is what the catechism says about showing signs of approval when other people are engaged in sinful activities. 2480 in the catechism. Every word or attitude is forbidden which by flattery, adulation, or complacence encourages and confirms another in malicious acts and perverse conduct. Whoa. That's quite a statement. I'll break it down, make it easier. Neither the desire to be of service nor friendship justifies duplicitous speech where you're smiling and nodding in agreement, but inside you're sick because of what they've, what they've actually done. Adulation is a venial sin when it only seeks to be agreeable, to avoid evil, to meet a need, or to obtain legitimate advantages. These are some of the reasons why we might smile and nod. Think of out of friendship, right? I think of this for men and for women. So for men, how many times am I around a group of men and they start talking in denigrating ways about women or about their wives or about something that they did at work that got them an advantage? And the group is all has this kind of tidal wave of force towards agreement. Now, what am I going to do about that? Do I say, 
Thus saith the Lord, that sinful activity is to be condemned, and you face the fires of hell unless you change. Hey, can I have another beer? How do you deal with that? Or women, have you ever been in a room where all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where your friend starts sharing about another friend or about someone else in the group or about somebody you saw at church or at school? Gossip, detraction, right? Uh, or, or just saying things about their own lives that are just not life-giving. They're not honoring their spouse, not honoring their children, not honoring God. Well, what am I supposed to do about that? What's my alternative? I, I don't want to be like self-righteous. I don't want to come across as judgmental. What am I supposed to do? Let me give you at least five things you can do, okay? How about being silent? You don't have to nod. You don't have to smile. Just sit there silently. Second, not laughing or expressing agreement. How about trying to change the topic of conversation as if you didn't even hear it? What about praying while the activity is going on? You see something negative happening, you start praying for that person. What about getting up and walking away? Discreetly get up and just, oh, I'm just going to go over here. If necessary, if you really are concerned about this behavior pattern, really hurting that person, hurting their relationships, then I say to you, do you have permission to speak into their lives, to speak into their situation? Two principles. One principle is, how committed are you to that person? If you're not committed, if you're not in some kind of committed relationship, then you're just throwing a rock over the wall and walking away. But if you're willing to say, I want to walk with you, I want to help you, I, I, because I care about you, we're going to walk together in this, that gives you more of a permission to bring up something that is sinful and maybe hurting them. The second is this. You have to discern whether in sharing it, it's going to help them. Aquinas says, out of love, fraternal correction, uh, we should be willing to correct our brother or sister out of love if we believe and if we have this sense that says, in sharing this with them, they are willing to hear and respond to what we're saying. But if they're just going to be closed and they're going to, in fact, become stirred up by this in a negative way, then do not do that because it's not a loving thing to do. You're just going to further push them into the dark. It's a mysterious thing, but love will show you the way. Boy, you didn't realize that there has so many little details to just saying, I did it. And we're at number four. <laughs> okay, let's keep moving. What about number five? Here's a, by the way, here's a great passage for you, Ephesians 4.29. Only say the good things men need to hear, things that will really help them. Oh, that was the fifth one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the fifth one. It's shamefaced. The sixth one is that confessing should be tearful. Saying I did it should be associated with tears, right? We're going to learn more about that under contrition. But first of all, you say that's a goal, a goal of saying I did it, a goal of accusing myself of a sin should reduce me to tears. Now, how can that be? Well, first of all, this is a guy saying this, all right? And this is a guy, you know, who lived a pretty strong, difficult life of 13th century, you know, uh, life of, of evangelical poverty. This guy was not living in comfort. Tough man, right? To think that tearfulness should be a goal of confessing is quite a striking thing. Well, Catechism is going to give us an insight. 
Confessing sin becomes tearful when sin becomes personal. When sin is just breaking a law, when sin is just not following a rule, then it's not likely to be tearful. The tears that would come associated with that are, I'm so ashamed of myself that I let myself down, that I didn't keep the rules, and I'm just ashamed. But when sin becomes personal, things change dramatically. Well, what's the relationship that we're going to talk about that is going to make sin that personal? It's the relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how can my sins somehow connect me to Jesus Christ? I'm going to read a passage out of the Catechism. This is another one you need to write down, and it'll change your life. It's paragraph 598. In her magisterial teaching, that's the formal teaching, right? That's the doctrine of the church. In the magisterial teaching of the faith, and in the witness of her saints, that's the best among us, the church has never forgotten that sinners were the authors and the ministers of all the sufferings that the divine Redeemer endured. Let me say it again. Taking into account the fact that our sins affect Christ himself. The church does not hesitate to impute to Christians the gravest responsibility for the torments inflicted upon Jesus. If that's just historical, if that's just what happened 2,000 years ago, then sin hasn't yet become personal. You getting this? What Jesus suffered 2,000 years ago is impacted by my decision today and tomorrow. Is that personal enough for you? That's when sin gets personal. That's when sin leads to tearful confession. I did it. Okay, next. Sin, uh, the act of confession should also be humble. Well, anybody not feeling humbled yet? <laughs> What's humble mean? Humble means that we lower ourselves before God. Right? We have two choices in life. We will come before God. You'll come before God either by lifting yourself up before God. What's that called? That's called pride. Pride is when you want to raise yourself up over against God. God becomes the threat to my independence. God's the threat to my good time. God is the threat to what I want for my life. Pride. Pride makes God someone who is over against us, standing opposed to us. We stand up before God like that, we will be knocked down. The other is to lower ourselves before God in humility. And in lowering ourselves before God, guess what God does? He lifts us up before him. But now we're lifted up in his presence and in union with him, acknowledging him as God and myself as his beloved son, as his beloved daughter. So we will be lifted up before God if we lower ourselves. We will be knocked down if we lift ourselves up. And so the act of saying, I did it, is a beautiful way that we acknowledge, accuse ourselves of things that would lower ourselves before God. Next, uh, confession should be faithful, right? By, by, by being faithful, Aquinas means it should actually express what is true. It should be saying what you've done. Now you think you say, well, what's the alternative, right? 
Well, there are three alternatives uh, in, in being unfaithful in confession, at least that I can think of. You might think of other ones. The first is this, is when you make up sins, right? Now, you might say to yourself, why in the world would someone make up sins? Believe it or not, I talked to this guy, hadn't been to confession in a long time. He said, I got in there. Now, unfortunately, he hadn't prepared. So he just got in there and he said, I didn't know what to say. So I just started making stuff up. And I'm like, I'm glad you went, but it's not what you're supposed to be doing. You don't just make stuff up. You know? Well, I didn't know what to say. Well, what do you do if you don't know what to say? Ask. Father, I don't know what to say. Can you help me out? Can you help me figure out what to say here? But hopefully that's not going to be any of our situations because we'll be more prepared when we go in. We'll talk about that in a second. The second thing is this. Being faithful in confession is saying what's true. Have you ever been in confession and you're confessing your sins and all of a sudden there's this little nagging thing in the back of your mind that says, should I say that? Should I say that? No, I don't want to say that. I don't know if I should say that. I don't want to say that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, it's all done. All right, and you end up not saying it. That is not being faithful in confession. If you're not sure, say it. Father, something's kind of nagging me. Can I say it? You just say it. Why is that so important? This is what's called the tribunal of mercy. This is that place where we can accuse ourselves. We bring things out in, in the open. Why? Because we want them healed. We want them pardoned. We want them dealt with. This is not a place for us out of fear to hide. That's the Adam and Eve thing again. Out of fear, out of shame, we want to keep it hidden. No, no. This is a serious thing. Not to confess what is on our conscience that should be confessed is a sin. It's a sin. It's actually betraying the very act of meeting Jesus Christ in that sacrament. Now, I want to propose that that's probably not again going to be the thing that bothers us the most. It would rather be this, that we forget to say something that we intended to share, but now it's past and now we're kind of stuck. Am I forgiven of that? What do I do now? You've ever thought about that? So here's how the church deals with this. The first is with regards to the act of confessing itself. Let's imagine that you confess your sins and then the, the priest starts uh, saying, make an act of contrition. And you're praying the act of contrition and all of a sudden you realize, I forgot that one more thing. Should I like interrupt my act of contrition and after Father has heard my sins, offered me counsel, and now asked uh, active should I actually stop the act of contrition? Oh my God, I'm really sorry for having a fight. Oh, wait a minute, Father, I forgot one more thing. Right? Let me just say to you, if you feel a need to, go ahead. But the church doesn't require you to. In that moment, you don't have to interrupt the act of contrition or the act of being absolved in order to be forgiven. Did you hear what I just said? The intention to confess what should be confessed is sufficient as long as you've been properly prepared. So there's the preparation part. Now, again, what I want to propose to you is even this situation is going to go away if you prepare well. But let me just finish it off. Let's imagine that you are... Um, you are saying the act of contrition or the priest is, con you know, he's offering counsel. You can bring something up. Feel, if you ever feel the need to do that, you go right ahead and do it. But you're not required to. You are forgiven, but then in your next confession, bring it up. The next time you go to confession, just bring up, Father, 
I intended to bring this up, totally forgot. The confession was just about done, or it was done, and I just want to bring this back up again. Okay? Bring it up, I say bring it up primarily for the sake of peace of conscience. So you just have the sense of peace that says, you know, I, 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 I'm not forgiven unless I bring it up, but rather, you know what, to be complete, to honor the sacrament, I want to bring it up. Okay? So that's a way to deal with not confessing something just out of forgetting. Now, how can you basically reduce these instances pretty much to zero? The way to reduce these instances pretty much to zero are doing three things. What's the first one? Make a good examination of conscience. And what you're going to find is this. When examination of conscience is something you do not only before confession, but you start doing an examination of conscience every day as a spiritual practice, you're going to find that those things that you need to confess are right at hand. That's the first thing. So good preparation, and I'm going to talk more about this in the last session, practice makes purpose. How do you make a good examination of conscience every day? How do you make a good examination of conscience before you go to confession? So that's coming, but that's the first thing. The second thing is make a list. Make a list. I do this with my kids. My oldest child does not need a list, does not want a list. My second child, my second daughter, uh, she likes a list. And so I help her. I ask her questions. She doesn't show me. Uh, she'll just go off and I'll say, think about this, think about this, think about this, and then she'll write things down. She'll write them on a piece of paper, and what does she do? She has it with her. She'll keep it in her pocket, but if she's not sure she said everything, she'll bring it out and speak it. That's a great way of saying, I'm going to prepare myself well to make sure that what needs to be said is going to be said. And what's the third thing to do? And this is really, again, for peace of conscience, and it's a good spiritual practice. When I'm done confessing my sins, what I say is this. I confess these and all the other sins that I've committed that I can think about or I'm not remembering right now. I'm truly sorry. I just confess. I lay my whole life before God and I ask for God's mercy. Please forgive me of every thought, word, deed, or omission that I just can't even remember right now. I really am trying to confess. It's something like that. A simple prayer that says, and for all my other sins that I can't even remember right now. Okay? By saying that, you're expressing this desire that said, I, I really am willing to bring out into the open all that should be brought out. And if I happen to forget, I forgot. But I didn't intend to. I'm not hiding. Okay? So those are three practices. Next, number nine. Uh, nine, 10, and 11, uh, we're going to talk about confession being open, entire, and simple. Uh, or open, simple, and entire. This has to do with what we actually say. Okay, we've been talking all about what happens when we say I confess. Now we're going to talk about what we actually say, all right? So the first thing is this, is that the act of confessing must be open. In other words, undisguised. How many times do we kind of dance around a sin without actually saying it? That is, um, and then, in the end we say, I'm there to say I did it, but in the end say, well, what I did specifically I don't want to say openly, so I'll disguise it by describing it in more general terms, Okay. Um, so the example that I use when I give this talk is a sin that priests tell me that guys confess but don't often confess in open ways. It's internet pornography. So what they'll say is, I want to confess, Father, that I spent time on my computer looking at inappropriate websites. 
Well, what did I just confess to? I don't know. The priest doesn't know because it's not open enough. So being open is not disguising the act that I actually committed. And so it might go something like this. Father, I confess that you know, uh, I make a regular practice that I'm ashamed of several days a week spending to an hour or more on websites where I can interact inappropriately with women and I'm looking at them and watching them and looking at things that are betraying my own vow to my wife and not honoring myself or this woman. Is that open? That's a lot more open. But how many guys are just knowing to do that? They're not going to know to do that unless they're taught. And so it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book is helping guys, well, and women, the same thing. I'm not trying to pick on guys. I'm just giving an example that I hear priests tell me. They say it's the, it's the sin that they've seen rise in the most, but guys don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to be open with it, so they disguise it. Second, Second is keeping it simple, keeping it simple. Now, this is a slightly different problem, and this might be more the woman's problem. It's about giving context. Father, I'll tell you what I did, but you need to know what she did first. You need to understand the backstory. So, Father, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to eventually get to what I did, but to understand what I did, you've got to understand first what she did and what they did and for how long they've been doing it before finally, I, I, you know, uh, here's my rationalization. You know, I did it, but you know what? It was almost virtuous what I did compared to what they did, right? And so we want to, again, we want to we confess in a way that keeps it simple. I'm here to accuse myself. I'm not here to accuse everyone else as a way of explaining and explaining away what I did. Keep it simple. Accuse yourself without the rationalization, without the context, without the backstory. Accuse yourself. And the third, the third is um, keeping things entire. So open means undisguised. Simple means get to the essence of it without the backstory. Entire is not suppressing or holding back things that should be made known. So in other words, not only am I open about it, so I'm not disguising things, I'm going to speak at the essence of things, but I'm going to give enough detail so the nature of the sin is made known. So I pick on guys here in the book again. I'll give you the example. I confess to having an inappropriate relationship with the woman co-worker, but I haven't committed adultery. Well, what did I just commit? What did I just, uh, what did I just say I did? We don't know. It's not entire. There's not enough detail here to understand the nature of the sin. Did I have one inappropriate conversation? Was there any kind of physical contact? I mean, what, was there some kind of romantic uh, energy going on here? What's actually going on? There's not enough detail to express the entire nature of the deed. And so open, simple, and entire work together. They work together to be able to make confession be truly an expression of saying, I did it. Okay, what's the 12th one? 12, 13, the 12 to 16 are a little bit quicker. Okay? Um, number 12 is that the act of confessing should be accusing. We should be accusing ourselves and not defending ourselves. But it, it points out the fact that we're doing this in the context established by Christ. 
In other words, we're not just here to accuse ourselves in front of any old context. We accuse ourselves in that place where Christ intends us to do it. In a place we're bringing it out into the open, we'll allow it to be healed in the sacrament of healing. Now, what I want to propose to you is this. If you learn how to say, I did it, if you learn how to accuse yourself in confession, you know what you're going to find yourself doing a lot more in prayer? In your own personal prayer is accusing yourself. And not only that, but you'll find a willingness to begin accusing yourself where? In your relationships, at work, at home, parents, children, all these other relationships. Accusing yourself will be the first thing that you do. Like, um, how many times do I get emails where, oh, Tom, you missed the appointment, or you were late, or you, you did this, and how many times do I want to begin with some kind of, again, explanation, rationalization, context, and story? It's so amazing that my, my emails are very much now, you're right, I did it, and I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'll make up for it, and I won't do it again. It's amazing how these sentences will start flowing over into in your own life and in your relationships. Let me tell you, this will heal marriages. These sentences will heal marriages. I did it, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Instead of, you did it, you should be sorry, and you're lucky if I ever forgive you. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Okay. All right. So it should be accusing. Next is, we should be ready to obey. The act of confessing should be ready to obey. In other words, when I say I did it, I'm laying myself out there, but it shouldn't just be begrudging, like, all right, Father, I did it, but don't you dare say anything about it, right? Ready to obey means I'm laying this out in a place where it has become open. There's a level of visibility that it didn't have before, but the point of this is that the Lord can address it. The Lord can bring healing into it. And part of where that healing comes from isn't just magic. It comes from what I do when I leave the confessional. And so the minister of Christ, the priest, the one who's ministering God's absolution, that Christ won, is also going to offer counsel. Trust that the Lord is going to be at work in the one that he's brought you to, to speak words of wisdom that can help you take action to bring healing into your life. It's kind of like the doctor saying, now take this medicine three times a day and don't forget to do those stretching exercises and the other physical therapy, right? He's given you wisdom that's all about helping you get healed. That's the kind of healing that we're going to learn about in confessing. We're not done when we walk out of the confessional. We're not done when we come out of that reconciliation room. We have a whole life to live that is going to be a welcoming of that grace of the sacrament into our lives. Now, this also brings up the idea of, um, well, should I, um, uh, who should I um, confess to, right? Well, the 14th aspect is the act of confessing should be secret. Now, that's easy. It's secret from the standpoint of who else am I going to tell my sins about? I'm not really going to be quick to do that with other people. But it is a very helpful thing to know the kind of seal of confession. That's what it's called. The priest is under. You're probably aware of this. You've heard of the seal of confession, which says what? The priest has no ability to share anything he's heard about in confession unless he's paid $50,000. Is that right? No. Given this is from the catechism, given the delicacy and greatness of this ministry, and listen to it, and I'm going to ask you what struck you because there's something here that's a surprise that I bet you haven't heard before. 
Given the delicacy and greatness of this ministry and the respect due to persons, the church declares that every priest who hears confessions is bound under very severe penalties to keep absolute secrecy regarding the sins that his penitents have confessed to him. He can make no use of knowledge that confession gives him about penitents' lives. Did you hear that last part? Not only is the priest forbidden from ever revealing what he's heard in confession, he can make no use of the knowledge that he learns in confession. Why is that important? Oh, that's really important when you think about who you're confessing to. You know how many people are held back from going to confession because I don't want to go to Father. I'm on the pastoral council. I'm on the faith formation committee. I'm an altar server. I'm a lector. And now I got to go tell him that I did these things that I'm ashamed of? How can I do that? Father not only keeps, uh, has absolute uh, secrecy around what he hears, but he can make no use of that knowledge. He can't say, okay, off the committee, no longer doing this, no, no. And so, so I want to just say from the standpoint of hearing something and then he comes out of the confessional, it's like, it, we, I think we tend to think, you know, He's never heard a confession like mine before. And when I say what I'm going to say, he's never going to look at me the same way again. You talk to priests. It's really interesting. They talk about the grace of forgetting. This is interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard this. But I've heard more than one priest say, you know, this might sound really odd to you, but, you know, I'm in the confessional. I hear all these confessions. And you might think that I'm thinking about what you said to me. I don't remember what you said to me. I'm not thinking about what you said to me. It's just, it's in this jumble and it just kind of recedes. It's not in my mind. I leave the confessional and I'm moving on. I'm not thinking about you and what you said. So just hear that. Just from a kind of a personal standpoint, when priests talk about it, they often say that, right? But even apart from a priest who says that or not, um, realize, uh, one priest said it this way. I gotta be honest with you. In confession, I've, heard nothing that either I haven't done or thought about, right? Thought about doing. So he meant that as a joke, but you didn't laugh. That's okay. Uh, in other words, there's really, you know, sin has not many flavors. You know, there's only so many things you can do. You're not going to surprise a priest by what you've done. Um, and so the priest has either done it himself or thought about doing it. And um, he's grateful that you're, you're grateful that you're there. But even if that isn't enough to get you to go, go to someone you don't know. Just go. The point, and that's what the priest would say. If I'm a hindrance to you going to confession, go to someone else. But go. Because I want you healed. Okay. Number 15. Um, and that is that uh, confession should be frequent. Frequent. This is a great question because how often should we go to confession? Right? How often should we go to confession? And I want to deal with this in two ways. One is... Take a look at the recommendations of popes. And then the second is to take a look at going to confession in connection with living a confessional life. So the first is, what does frequent confession? Uh, Aquinas says that the well-being of confession, do you really want the confession to have the grace, the sacrament to have the grace that God intends? It requires, it relies on it being frequent. Well, what does frequent mean? Well, John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, he went to confession every week. This is what he says. Those who go to confession frequently and do so with the desire to make progress 
know they have received in this sacrament a precious light for the path of perfection. It's a pretty good recommendation. Listen to what Pope Pius XII said. For a constant and speedy advancement in the path of virtue, we highly recommend the pious practice of frequent confession introduced by the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For by this means, we grow at a true knowledge of ourselves and in Christian humility, bad habits are uprooted, spiritual negligence and apathy are prevented, the conscience is purified, the will strengthened, salutary spiritual direction is obtained, and grace is increased by the efficacy of the sacrament itself. The right response to that is, wow. Let's just say it's a powerful thing to go to confession regularly. Well, what's regularly? I'm going to propose that regularly probably means every two months, at least. You probably think to yourself, is he serious? We're lucky if we get there once a year during Advent or Lent. The concept of confession will become more a part of your regular spiritual practice when living a confessional life becomes more rooted in your own way of looking at your life. When your whole life is every day about confessing your faith in Christ, God's glory and my own misery without God, when your whole life becomes a matter of saying, I did it and I'm sorry, forgive me, I'll make up for it, I'll never do it again, guess what happens? The whole momentum of your life is towards confession. There's a natural flow towards it. You're naturally going to think, oh, time for confession again. That's right. You'll naturally flow towards confession. It won't be a burden at all. In fact, you're going to be running towards confession rather than running from it. So the idea of how frequent, how regular is frequent, it's not an issue. It's not some kind of external imposition. It's an internal necessity. It's an internal desire. The, uh, the last one is that the act of confessing should not be delayed. Uh, have you ever been to confession? You come out and you're like, I'm clean. I'm not going to sin again for at least two hours. And then the very thing that you were most ashamed of that you said, I'm so glad I'm done. It happens again. Do you notice how I said it? Not I did it again. It happens again, right? I stumble and I fall. I jump back into sin again. And you're just like, how long do I have to stay in this miserable condition before I have the right to go back to confession again? Please don't get bound up by shame that says, I just confessed something and I did it again days later. How can God possibly forgive me again after he just forgave me so greatly? So, so living a confessional life is all about saying, I did it. It's about taking responsibility. Adam and Eve wanted to stay hidden, and if they stayed hidden, they wouldn't have been healed. God called them out into the open. He called them by name. And in calling by the name, invites them to a place where they can be restored to that relationship with God. And in being restored to that relationship with God, humbling themselves in order to live a life that is transparent.